Welcome to Overrated, a movie podcast where we talk about a movie uh, we think is overrated and then discuss another film which might be a better replacement. I'm Joe Cherivino, and uh, joining me in Santa's workshop here is my co-host Alan Harrison. Uh, Alan, what day is it? Uh, It is December 23rd. No, you're supposed to say, it's Christmas Day, (laughs) sir! It's Christmas Day! Humbug. Okay, there we go. There we go. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, so it's Christmas Day when this is being released. Uh, it's a couple days beforehand. Obviously, we're recording this a couple days before, but it's Christmas Day. Alan promises me that he'll get this out on Christmas Day, so under your podcast uh, trees, you'll find this episode. Uh, it's our third annual Christmas episode, and our 50th episode as well, so one heck of a landmark episode here. We're really going to go all out, right, Alan? Yeah, give us a round of applause. Yes, at least in your mind. <laughs> um, so, Alan, what film should uh, Santa be getting a, uh, uh, a stock full of coal under their uh, at the, on their mantle uh, this year? Uh, so, as my special holiday overrated selection, I've chosen Scrooged, A Christmas Carol. Scrooge, has... the Bill Murray movie. Sorry, it's called Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> Scrooge, Scrooge, <laughs> not AKA, Scrooge. That's the British original, yeah, the version original title, title but yeah. it's based on a, the Chris, a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Exactly. It's the American yeah. version or title. That's One of been the released. many adaptations of the classic Dickens story. Yeah. So why on earth would you choose this movie? One of the greatest, you know what, timeless Joe? classics of all time. I, uh, I'm going to admit this. I, I think I told you earlier. I uh, I don't have a lot of problems with this movie. Actually, I kind of like this movie. So you're a humbug. <laughs> you're a well, humbug. No. I, yes, I, you are. I, I like the. I like the film. Exactly. So you're a hypocrite. Um, That's what a humbug actually means. All right. If you look into the actual definition, a humbug is someone who is a phony. Okay. Who in, in the context of Christmas, it's someone who pretends to be joyous and happy and gay and enlightened by the Christmas spirit, but in actuality doesn't give a shit and really isn't affected. So that's why, actually... That's why you're calling me a humbug. Yeah, you're a humbug. Okay. And that's also, in if you guys watch The, the Wizard of Oz, uh, the Scarecrow calls uh, The Wizard of Oz, he calls him a humbug, and he goes, yes, I am a humbug. Hmm. He goes, you're a humbug. And he goes, yes, I'm a humbug. <laughs> so, yeah, that's like, originally, the original you your, term... Uh, you did your research. Yeah, the original yes. term, yeah, it's just something interesting <laughs> I thought was really interesting. That You know, it doesn't just mean, like, bullshit. Like, it doesn't mean just, like, ah, I'm uh, spiteful of your happiness. Ah. It's It actually means I don't believe that you're actually happy. I think you're, like, you're scamming me, or you're scamming the system, or mm. you're being fo- phony. Okay. So that's what a humbug is. So Scrooge is kind of a uh, Holden Caulfield. <laughs> yeah, true. He doesn't like phonies. <laughs> Which is similar to you. I think you're quite a humbug. You're, well, who, you're, who does like phonies? Yeah. I, I, I nobody likes phonies, but uh, <laughs> it's just interesting. Uh, for a story that has been adapted so many times in so many different ways. I just saw the Muppets Christmas Carol and I was just Better like, than this. Like, a, like I was just, there's so many good little inside <laughs> jokes. That's a great film. It's a wonderful film with Michael Kine. Yeah. Uh, 
this classic film has its charms, and Alistair Sim is fantastic. He really movie. sells this movie. He's, he's so good. But I think there are more recent versions that might work better for people in 2018, like A Muppet Christmas Carol or Scrooged. Scrooged, <laughs> with yes, Bill Murray. Murray. A film and that Bob, I think is kind of underrated. And Bobcat Goldthwait. And really? Bobcat Goldthwait. You think it's underrated? I think it's underrated, yeah. Like yeah, critically, maybe. it was definitely, yeah. it wasn't like a critical yeah. success. Um, Niagara Falls, <laughs> Frankie Angel. That but, guy from those, the New York Dolls. I, I must say, neither of those films are my replacement selections. Mm. I'm, I'm very eager to get to discussing my replacement selections. Another Christmas film, but in, we a, can, in uh, a different manner. Yes. In a different yes, way. Uh, an unconventional choice, mm. you might say. Um, but yeah, if I'm looking to watch a Scrooge film around Christmas time, I, I'd probably go with something else. You know, I'm, and th- this is this is widely considered the best. This is the definitive version, Scrooge. The definitive Scrooge. Yeah, the definitive, uh, the definitive Christmas a Christmas Carol. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm not sure that it is for me. I was surprised because it's a black and white film, and I only came to it maybe. I mean, I only watched it for the first time maybe 10, 15 years ago. I never watched it as a kid. I was surprised it actually came out in nineteen fifty two. I thought it was like a movie from like the 20s or 50, or 30s. It does feel like it's a lot older, doesn't it? It does have that old, lived in, especially early early sound film. Because mm-hmm. the sound for me was really getting quite uh, wonky at times. I don't oh, know okay. if it was a version of mine, but it sounded very, very off at certain times. Okay. Like early sound picture films would tend to be. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you noticed that or that was the version I didn't, I, but I, I, I actually was noticing that some of the background sounds were pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like the wind blowing outside and well, stuff. You know what is absolutely fucking haunting and chilling is Marley's wailing in this movie. Oh, yeah, that when was, he yeah. wails, I was actually terrified. The I, way he goes... I actually turned down the volume. It, it was, was yeah. too much. It was <laughs> terrifying. To see a grown man make that noise is unsettling. Yeah, it was a pretty effective wail. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of sound, do you want to hear my uh, Alistair Sim impression? I've been working on it for a kind while. Of. I've been working on it for a while. <laughs> okay. Would you like to hear it? What's a while? How long have you been working? About on? ten years since. Wow. Yeah, okay. yeah, ten years. Here it goes. Ready? Spit it. That's it. <laughs> nice. That's it. That's it. Because he says it so many times. I was gonna keep count. I lost count after like thirty-five. I lost count. He just the whole half of the film. That's all his dialogue is. Is just spit it. Spit it. No. Spit it, please. Spit it. Spit it. Spit at this. He just constantly says spirit. He says it great. And his eyes are fucking incredible, by the way. His eyes are one of the most emotive, just engaging, engrossing expressions I've ever seen in an actor. Right, they kind of, they pop out a bit. Yeah. The actor that plays him as a younger man doesn't have the same kind of look. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so, what are you, what are your problems with this with this film or this version of this adaptation of it? It's just I, I, it's black and white. It's old timey. I don't like it. It is it is very old timey, as you said. Oh, it has that feel, which which isn't a bad Charles thing. It's not a bad Dickens. thing. You it's know a, what? I don't have bad things to really say about this. You're movie. a humbug. You're such a humbug. You're a hypocrite. You are such a humbug. I just you wanted an excuse to talk about. I thought my maybe you related to this movie because it's a very you're you're not one for the what they call the the, the Christian. The Christianity? No, you're not, not one really. For the, you're not one for that, I think. No. Nope. And I think at times that maybe you kind of relate to Mr. Scrooge in the sense of like, you know, you're, you're a little cynical. Mm-hmm. You're a little world-weary. Yeah. Maybe. Sometimes when someone maybe. says Merry Christmas to me, I do feel like saying, fuck off. Yeah. Well, there you go. So I think, <laughs> but isn't that incredible how it touches? I generally don't. Isn't that incredible how that kind of cynicism about Christmas goes all the way back way then? Even yeah, then people yeah. believe that like. Uh, but I kind of, you know. 
not in the spirit of this film or in the context of this film, but I, I kind of understand that now, like pe- why people might have a problem with Christmas and what it represents. Uh, it's a very, very capitalist celebration. Uh, would you say? Is, no, I'd say it's very anti-capitalist. What are you talking really? about? What? Is what? It, really? <laughs> because Scrooge is spending all, about sh- all this time. No, not in the film. I just said, oh. not oh, in the sorry. context of the film. Oh, sorry. Today, oh, today, I understand why people might have something against Christmas. And the, the, oh, because Christmas. The I so-called the spirit movie. of Christmas. No, no, no. The movie. no sorry. No. Oh, well, oh, certainly. I mean, it's over-commercialized, but... Uh, you know, that, in a way, it's a good thing because it makes it more universal and less a and more secular than an actual spiritual event. Like, well, like, like it can be Christian. secular without all the you know, gift I, buying. And, I guess. Yeah. yeah, but in a way that kind of that helps it get out of that. I don't like forced gift buying. You know. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah, I mean? I don't like forced any sort of emotions and, and yeah. Gift when, events, just when like, you feel obligated to buy yeah, a gift, yeah, like for Valentine's Day and yeah. you know all this. If other you want to buy a gift or give a gift to someone, just give a gift to someone. That's right. Any time of the year. Don't let other people tell you when to do that. Or society in general. Societal yeah. convention. Right. Right. Um, I agree with that, but uh, this film has a very anti-capitalist uh, yes, for sure. sentiment. Yeah. It's very much uh, like, you know, you have a character of uh, Fizzywig who's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, the, the Industrial Revolution is going on. Let it go on without me. I'll let me die off and <laughs> just enjoy my business. And he goes, he goes bankrupt mm-hmm. because of it. He doesn't change with the times, right? Yeah. And Scrooge kind of like Scrooge and Marley, Marley take they, over. They take over. They have like yeah. kind of a hostile takeover type scene. That's a good scene. At the That's table. a cool scene yeah. where they're just sitting back and it's <laughs> yeah. like, "We got you. We got your answer right here." <laughs> Sits back and puts yeah. his fingers in his pocket. Yeah, yeah. watch pockets. That was a good move. <laughs> it was like you know what? Like it reminded me like if you want to be successful in business, you have to be an asshole at some point. Like you've got to just screw people over and take advantage. Yeah, if you want to succeed, want to succeed in the capitalist system, you you have to be you something to, of a sociopath. But not all the time, <laughs> but I'm just saying that there has to be a moment where you have that moment. As, you know, as it stands, yeah. with unfettered capitalism, <laughs> you sure. pretty much have to be a, a sociopath. And I think that's interesting. That Profit the, has the, to be the, the driving motivator. That, all the way back to the beginnings of the Industrial Revolution, that was something that was being examined and criticized, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And and what what's the point of having all this, amassing all this money, if your legacy is just a bunch of, like, housekeepers selling off all of your shit at the end of the day? You right, know, right. they're just stripping stripping your, your curtains down and your underwear, and they're selling all your, your everything that you own. What's the point of all your ill-gotten gains if, you know, what does it profit a man, you know, mm-hmm. is the question that it asks. And, and those are some very, you know... You can't take noble, it with you. You can't take it with you, you know? <laughs> But you know the way I you came treat. Up with that. Yes, well, well done. That's a copyrighted coined phrase for Thank Alan you. Harrison. Copyright two thousand and eighteen. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of really beautiful sentiment in this movie about being humanistic and caring about people. And yes, it is cheesy and corny at times. But you know what? Like honestly, I can't get through this movie without having a dry eye. With, with a dry eye, like I can't get oh, really? through this movie without crying. At some point, there's something that always gets me. At some point, huh. the end is and pretty sweet. It is incredible. Like, yeah. you know, like, you know, especially the narration in the good old world. Scrooge was good to his word, better than his <laughs> word, and Tiny Tim, who did not die. And it's just. Does it feel a little bit short to you, the end? Maybe. I mean, yeah. Uh, it, 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 I guess it's kind of in five parts, right? I guess there's a, the yeah, opening, the three spirits, the three spirits and then, and then the, the finale. Yeah, yeah, sure. I guess so. Sure. So but I think just that's the, the fine. finale. I think it's a tight story. Of... I think it's not yeah, too yeah, short. I think yeah. it's just a tight, good story about. It, it's a time travel story too, which is kind of cool, right? Yeah. You know, like it's a time travel story, and a lot of the mechanics and the and the filming techniques they use, although seem a bit outdated, and and, and you can see the seams and stuff and the, how they composited stuff. 
uh, were pretty, I guess, revolutionary uh, back then in the early 50s. You know, it was mm-hmm. still pretty impressive to see that kind of matte uh, com- com- compo- composites mm-hmm. happening. And, uh, you know, I think personally the film looks quite beautiful. Like, it does, as, yeah. as old and creepy as and creaky as it is, um, the, the, the really stark. Uh, that all speaks Chiaroscura, to its effectiveness, yeah. The chiaroscura, like almost like German expressionist look to it, really mm. it works really well. Like, like Alistair Sim, like I said, like, has a very expressive face and eyes, especially he's just bulging out of his head. It reminds me of Doctor Caligari or Metropolis, you know. Yeah, he wouldn't be uh, out of Rot- place in uh, Rotwang, you know. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Rotwang the Professor when he's like, you know, looking at his fit, his hand, you know, like he has his very expressionistic elements to it, and they really work very well, especially in black and white. Again, it sells it that it's an older style movie and an older it makes it feel. Like it's older than it actually is, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think sure. that really works in terms of a, a period piece for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, apparently, it's a very. I haven't read the Dickens uh, story, but apparently, it's a very close adaptation of the story. I would hope so. I mean, there's a lot of lines that are really dark and disturbing. Like he's like any any man who says "Merry Christmas" on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding, and then a steak of holly sent put through his heart like that's <laughs> some old school fucking vile shit you know like that's some vic- vindictive stuff i like that that it's not like it's not victorian you know, insults yeah i love them you know so the business yeah. they have it, it's they call it accounting business what sure but they're usurers right they're just money lenders they're accountants i guess yeah they're yeah. but they're money lenders they're essentially money lenders. yeah okay. um but yeah, I think it's uh, I know Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim. I think Bob Cratchit is a little bit too nice. So Bob Cratchit is too nice. He's he's too nice, I think. Uh, when Scrooge, I think the first scene that he has with Scrooge, uh, essentially like spits in his face on Christmas Eve. He doesn't have the kind of reaction I, I think someone should have. But he's been like he's been like. Phys- like mentally abused by Scrooge for many many years, they've been working together, so he knows how to roll with the Despite punches. Despite that, though. he has a very cheery attitude all the time. Sure, well, that's how he's able Seems to like cope. Scrooge leaves the room it. after insulting him, mm-hmm. right? He's making cheerful. fun of his family, sure, right? and his income, even though he's the one who pays him, and he's cheerful, like right as uh, well. Scrooge because at least he gets Christmas off to spend with his family. He doesn't give yeah. a shit about Scrooge at that point, as long as he gets to hang out. With but there could family. have been some kind of reaction to that. You I know? guess I don't know. There was I, no, I like there was no hurt in his face. I like how he tries to still toast Scrooge and his wife's like, what the fuck are you talking about? That guy's an asshole. <laughs> and she's like, well, you know, he still is a human being and he's my boss. And, you know, he still is poss- could possibly re- be redeemed. So, mm-hmm. you know, would, this all wouldn't even be possible if it wasn't for whatever little we have if it wasn't for Mr. Scrooge. So let's toast him. And she's like, all right, even though he's a jerk. <laughs> you know, I love that. There's so much kindness and sweetness in this movie. It, it just, you know... Like, again, like anyone who feels cynical about the world in general and about, you know, people's selfishness. And again, that's the humbug feeling. That's the feeling that people are putting on an act that they're just doing this to pretend that uh, they care about people. And there's real genuine feeling and emotion and care that people have for each other mm-hmm. in the world. And it's important not to ignore that. And it's a very universal, timeless theme. For sure. You know? But and wouldn't think- you rather watch The Muppet? Christmas Carol. I love the Muppet Christmas. Oh, it's so good. With Michael Gon- Gonzo as uh, Charles Dickens. <laughs> and there's so many jokes about movie making and, and narrative. He's like, I'm the omniscient, I'm the omniscient narrator. I, I know everything. And he's like, how do you know what's going on in that room? He's like, I know, I'm not, I know everything. It's so good. With Rats, Ratso Rizzo as his little sidekick. Right, it's, right. it's exceptionally good puppeteering as well. They did some really... It was directed by Brian Henson, who is his son. 
Oh, and dedicated to Jim Henson at the beginning, which was very touching. Okay. And the the amount of animation, like the 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 puppetry animation that goes into it, and the sophistication of it is next level. It's hmm. really like the high watermark of the uh, of the of the Muppets of so the nineties. This, this is a Anyhow. dumb question, but did Jim Henson direct uh, Muppet movies? Yes, he directed the first one. He did direct the Muppet. Yeah, movie. yeah, he okay. directed the first one. Okay. Right. And I think maybe a couple of the early ones as well, maybe like Muppet Manhattan, uh, Ma- Muppets Manhattan. Take Manhattan. The, I think it's Mutt- Mutt- Muppets Manhattan Caper or something. I can't remember. Is it now. the Muppets Take Manhattan? No, that's Jason Takes Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Manhattan Muppet Caper or something. I think that's what it's, it's the called. The Muppets Take Manhattan. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Is that the one where on. Kermit rides a bike? Yes. I love that scene. No, no, that's the first one. No, that's the first one. That's first the first one, one he rides a bike, yeah. They're also in New York in the first one then. Uh, yes, the, at the yeah. very end. Yeah, at the okay. very end. I'm, I'm mixing them up. Anyhow. Um, anyhow, so back to this movie here. Uh, it, it's a morality play, basically, right? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, that's it's what a this, classic this story play. is, right? Yeah. Everyone knows this story. Well, right? I would hope so. Even if you haven't seen this version of the story, you've seen some version of the story, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and I mean, any movie that, that gives us this intros- introspection, and I just love that, that last half of the movie where he's just giggling and insane mm-hmm. and completely off his rocker, so happy, and there's that moment where he just goes, I shouldn't be this happy, I don't deserve to be this happy, mm-hmm. and he goes, but I just can't help it. I think that's a really important thing that people have to understand about the guilt of their actions in the past and how much they are allowed to forgive themselves. Sure. It's super yeah. important that you understand that, and you can move on and become a better person. And it's a very altruistic, um, almost existentialist, you know, movie where you can be one thing that from one moment to the next. You can be a coward and then be a hero, and and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You are not what you are in your past. You are are what you are in the moment, and how you live in the moment defines who you are. Right. And I think that's a really important message to be sending, especially to children. If it's children's, you know, for, you know, sort of morality. But we play. constantly allow history to define people who aren't around anymore. Anyway, sure. In retrospect, <laughs> yes. But I think for yourself, it's important that you define and you give meaning to yourself that way. That hmm. what you do in the present time. But you may have some. Other, how other people have, judge you is not your up to your control. That's true. Yeah, you may have done something so significant in your past that it is something that defines you as a person or will continue to uh, yeah i guess but human beings are incredibly i don't know they're in, they're incredibly they have incredible capacity Mutable. for change yeah sure i yeah. mean you know even people who have dramatic huge trauma like 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 batman who has traumatic uh, past can be can <laughs> let's be, not get back change. to batman. okay i'll forget about that <laughs> i was just joking that was like a callback to the previous episode but i mean like yeah even if something really i don't know i think people you know they can bounce back and they can change there's mm-hmm. all there's that hope Sure. And I think that's what this movie brings in. And it, again, like I'm just like, there's all these things about you know the the universal truths about hum, human behavior and nature that I think are just really beautiful, and and they're just so succinctly portrayed through this movie. And it's a, it's a fairy tale, it's a morality play, it's a simple simple story about redemption, self redemption, and the realization that you you can still change. There's still time yet to change your ways. You're not set into you know, who you are in the past mm-hmm. and you can make change. Even though you've gone, like Scrooge has gone through major traumas in his past around all around Christmas time. I'm assuming that every single flashback is actually at Christmas time. So he loses his, it feels that way. he loses his sister at Christmas time. He breaks up with his fiance in Christmas time. There's all these horrible traumas that happen around the Christmas time. Marley dies on Christmas. It's that's clearly like happening. It's Christmas time because Christmas. because Cratchit wants to leave, and he's like, "No, we're not leaving till the end of the day. It doesn't right, matter right. if it's Christmas Eve or not." Yeah, yeah. So all these th- 
horrible, horrible things happened to him. And, you know, I mean, to, to bring something kind of personal into it, my, my, uh, my grandmother, I never met her. She passed away when, I was very, when my dad was very young. He was like 16 years old. She passed away on Christmas Eve. Uh, while mm-hmm. my dad was 16. And, you know, that, that has still always affected my dad. He always remembers her and, you know, goes to the church and lights a candle for her to remember her on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, these things, these horrible things happen. But, you know, he's not haunted by it constantly. You know, it's not something that defines his whole outlook and perspective on life. Right. It's an unfortunate thing that happens to people, and people have the ability to bounce back and, in the face of tragedy, create incredible positivity. And I think that's one of the great things about human beings. That's one of the great things about human nature, is in despite horrible, horrible circumstances and events that happen to people, even death, uh, in- incredibly positive things can come out of it. And I'm not saying that we should cause these negative things to happen to spur on positivity, but it's amazing to see that human beings don't just recoil and give up. In Generally, the face of- we persevere. We try to persevere, and we try to create positivity out of un- a horrible situation, mm-hmm. even death. And, you know, if someone dies of cancer, you know, we, we, we raise, you know, charity to, you know, maybe try to find a cure for cancer and, sure. and help other people, yeah. you know. Sometimes it goes overboard. It can, sure. People get misguided and, and out of control and stuff. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about A Christmas Carol other than the fact that you just chose it because it's a Christmas movie? Yeah, let's move on to the next movie. But okay. before we do, I just want to ask you, like, how many versions do you think you have seen of this story? Uh, not a lot. No? Have you I... seen the Zemeckis like animated no. one with oh, Jim Carrey. God, no. Jim no, Carrey I plays stay, Scrooge and he plays I, all three spirits. I stay one. far, far away from <laughs> any of that weird Uncanny Valley, oh, okay. Beowulf. So you and, didn't like pay, uh, Polar Express? Uh, Polar and, Express. I okay. could barely handle for like five minutes before the I... The Uncanny like, Valley thing bothers you? Yeah, I yeah. don't like it. I, it's, it's, I just don't like the way the animation looks. Hmm. Uh, it's just the way they move is very strange and uh, unnatural and uh, it's not charming in any way. Hmm. I wonder if it's it'll ever unsettling. really like get there, you know? It will. Oh, yeah. certainly it will. Yeah. yeah. Uh, absolutely. I, I guarantee it. Like in the past, in the next like two decades for sure. Easily. Easily. Right. That's a bold um, prediction. Oh, but. easily in the next, in t- by 2048, f- right. for sure. I'm going to play this back for you. All right. Well, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> oh, sorry. That'd be 2038. My mistake. I'm, 2038. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. I don't know how to do math. Anyhow. Okay. <laughs> so. All right, so yeah, I've only seen maybe five different versions of maybe a Christmas Carol, and that's about it. Yeah, there's one with Patrick Stewart. I, I think I've seen yeah. that one. Yeah, okay. that was not too bad. I that was that. good. And the Muppet one, and I think I've seen like an animated. There's a Disney one. one. There's, there's a Mickey's Christmas Carol. Yeah. I've seen that one. Uh, yeah, and obviously, yeah, the, you know, a Scrooge I think counts as a Christmas Carol. Mickey's Christmas Carol told from the perspective of Bob Cratchit because Mickey plays Bob Cratchit. Sure, there, right. Well, I think, there you go. From what you I go. remember, and Scrooge McDuck as Scrooge. What a real <laughs> stretch that was. <laughs> Did they create the character for that? No, I don't no. think so. He already existed before. Bef- wait, wait, hold on. B- before the Christmas Carol. Before the Christmas Carol adaptation, the Disney Oh, no, no, Scrooge McDuck existed way, way into, like, the 30s. He was a big, yeah, he was, like, in, like, 1930s, he was a, like, yeah, with Donald Duck. He was, like, the same era, yeah, and then 1940s and shit like that, and the early Disney stuff. So they didn't create him for that film? No, 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 no. That adaptation? No, no, no. All right. Anyhow, so, Alan, what uh, festive film uh, have you chosen as a replacement to Scrooge, a.k.a. A Christmas Carol? For my replacement pick, I have chosen Stanley Kubrick's psychosexual drama from 1999, Eyes Wide Shut. Kubrick adapted this story from a 1926 novella called Trom Novel. Trom Novel. Trom Novel. It's a German 
German word, I guess, or words. It means dream story in mm-hmm. German by an Austrian writer named Arthur Schnitzler. Schnitzler. Now, this film probably isn't considered by most to be a holiday staple. Would you agree with that? Uh, amongst film so people, yes or no. Yes, yes or no uh, answer. Against, against most people, I think people would find it a strange <laughs> pick as a holiday film or okay. a Christmas film, yes. It qualifies as one in my books, and, and I can point to a couple of reasons for this. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, lay it on me, man. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm listening. Okay. Uh, I feel like you're, you're dubious. Well, first of all, it's just funny because... You, you don't know... Are you dubious? <laughs> I, just, I, just want, I am... Uh, no, I'm, I'm open-minded. Okay, good. Okay. So, uh, first... And in the most literal sense, the film takes place during the Christmas season, right? Yes. Uh, red and green are the predominant colors, and there are lights and trees in every scene of the film, it seems. Yes, there is a Christmas tree in every inter- interior shot. Possibly. I'm pretty sure there is a Christmas yeah, tree. Yeah, I'd have every, to go. I've watched house. this film so many times, but I, I've never counted and, and pretty like, sure. in the scenes. Okay. Uh, second, in a less obvious way, the film is very much about ritual and the ritual celebrations of the holiday season. <laughs> sure. Well, there's definitely a big ritual in the third <laughs> yeah, act yeah, of we'll this get, movie. Yeah, we'll get to this. Okay. In the holiday season, right, our typical ritual consists, uh, it's a time of joy and goodwill. Mm-hmm. Um, and this contrasts with the ritual we see practiced at the mansion in the film, mm-hmm. which is a kind of cold, impersonal, and menacing space, uh, despite the wall-to-wall nudity and orgies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it also kind of works plot-wise as a modern version of A Christmas Carol. Because just as with Scrooge, Bill, mm-hmm. Bill enters a, a kind of waking dream, dream world or fantasy state. Yes. Right? Just as you know, mentioned literally in the novel. This is where we find agreement. Yes, okay. He wakes from this revenge fantasy, just like Scrooge does uh, in the final act of that film, and returns to Alice with remorse and a need to confess all of his misdeeds, and in mm-hmm. the final scene, asks what he can do to make things good again. And tries to redeem himself yeah, he, in some way. Yeah, he's kind of a modern-day... Screw it. But just way more fucking. <laughs> so bring the well, kids. Well, this is so the get, interesting so, thing. Okay? So, Alan, let's get all the kids. Let's get the family. Let's get all the kids together. Let's we could, get, we could gather some popcorn, yeah, put up tinsel, and yeah, and put up tinsel, and watch eyes wide, wide shut. Eyes wide shut. <laughs> I think that's totally a one to one for sure. One hundred percent. Horrible parenting tips by Alan Harrison. Everybody, <laughs> our next podcast. It's a Christmas film for adults. Okay? I agree with that. Die Hard isn't for children, but it's considered to be a Christmas classic, sure, right? Yeah. Right. I think this is more of a Christmas film than Die Hard. It has more Christmas feels than That's, Die Hard. Uh, there's more Christmas music in Die Hard, though. Here and there. It's sure. there's a lot of Christmas music in Die Hard, like a lot. Okay. If you look at the soundtrack, it's actually quite a bit. Okay. Anyhow, but yeah, go ahead, keep going. Uh, no, those are, those are like my main, my two. Okay. Like issues there, my two points. Okay, well, I agree with the whole dream state, uh, you know, a journey into your own psychology and discovering uh, something, you know, tr- throughout the end of it, you come through the other end and you find yourself redeemed. Yeah. I think there's there's that quality, that Christmas kind of like morality play kind of thing going on in both of these films, right. sure. Yeah, it's definitely a lot more adult. Hundred <laughs> percent. The movie starts off with you see Nicole Nicole Kidman's butt stripping down, mm-hmm. and um, Christmas doesn't have to be for children all the time. Well, you know well. what's an interesting you thing know, when in the Japan, kids have to go to bed at some point, Joe. 
Yeah, and, and that's, that's when, when the fucking starts. That's when the playtime starts. That's when Santa brings out his his, his candy cane <laughs> dildo. And uh, no, but in Japan, actually, funnily enough, it's not a family event. It's Christmas is a a romantic event. It's almost on the same level as Valentine's Day. It's for a couple's holiday where couples get together and, and are very amorous with each other in Japan. Hmm. So, uh, you know, hey, different twist on the holiday season. I think for, for Stanley Kubrick, the way he, the reason why he said it around Christmas time is because all this kind of sexual, uh, sort of dark kind of sexual journey into the underbelly of New York City, or what supposedly is New York City, we'll get into that, Uh it's kind of like a uh, gives it kind of a, a, a ironic grim tone the yeah. fact that it's set in christmas time that all these things are happening all these extremely dark and disturbing events are murders and uh right. you know orgies and secret societies and all these dark it's all contrasts with yeah, what we with, typically associate with christmas and, sure and also like i guess I think there's that, a... that compounds the 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 ironic sort of contrast between the two right. visuals and two more things i think is uh, there also may be a kind of like anti-capitalist uh lean here as well like a criticism of how, the christmas how season. so uh well with these filthy rich but kind of wicked people who celebrate the season uh kubrick like he was jewish right so he would have probably missed out on christmas and maybe it's something he kind of had a fascination is this what he thought christmas was was just a giant orgy for goys i think he's criticizing (laughs) it in some way (laughs) it's interesting it's interesting that a lot of people have like weird theories about like what's why stanley kubrick gravitated toward this movie because some people hypothesize that he changed it at the last minute how do you mean? Initially, there were uh, the Harfords were to be Jewish. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. Instead of like these Lily White, waspy, Ken New and Barbie City. type characters. Yeah. Sure. Real life couple at the time. He said he wanted. He changed it when he changed it. He said he wanted the most vanilla couple he could think of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess so. With with those two, yeah. you know, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, they're also a huge star power <laughs> as well. Doesn't hurt the fact that they were at the top of their, you know influence in hollywood yeah. as a star couple <laughs> didn't help i'm sorry didn't hurt with uh, marketing the film as like you know originally it was kind of marketed as like this movie was going to show those two actually having sex mm-hmm. you know like there was no you know there was a very very r-rated trailer that was released that really had no qualms about you know the beating around the bush about the nudity in the film mm-hmm. um and he worked a lot on this movie. What did it, t- it took like two years to shoot or something? Yeah, this is still the world's record, Guinness World's record holder for longest continuous shoot for <laughs> 400 shooting days in a row. Yeah. Which is fucking insane. <laughs> That's over so a year. So it must have been quite straight. an ordeal for, for the yeah. actors involved. I mean, your whole life is shooting that movie for a year and a bit. And, and I wonder if some part of him wanted to torture Cruz. Uh, and Kidman. <laughs> apparently, they were quite friendly with each other. Actually, they were. Quite, well, you get that from Cruz, well. like in the interviews that mm-hmm. you see him in yeah. uh, after the film was made. True. But did you ever see Stanley Kubrick saying, "Oh, well, because I, he I was dead. <laughs> because he was he dead. Sometimes, like six the, the days film. after the movie was cut. <laughs> but he had some time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to maybe right. speak on those things. Well, the illuminated. It's like Malcolm the- McDowell. Like Malcolm McDowell thought he had this friendship with Kubrick, and mm-hmm. when when the film was over. Right. He was like disappointed to find out that Kubrick had no interest in having a friendship with him. Yeah, well, you got to cut your ties. <laughs> but it's interesting that people, especially with Kubrick dying so quickly after the film was cut and its final re- uh, cut was put together, people have a conspiracy theory that this was Kubrick's reason. The reason for it was to expose the secret societies that he'd been exposed to mm. while he was doing 
the moon faking the moon landing <laughs> and doing the wow, shining, all this in. crazy shit. <laughs> yeah, people thought people there's people out there who think that this is his big expose of that society hmm. that orchestrated all of that stuff, and because he made it into the popular culture, he was murdered. But here's the thing. There was another movie that came out before Eyes Wide Shut in 1969, directed by, uh, I think he's a German director. His name was uh, Wolfgang Gluck. And in 1969, he, he actually did the first TV adaptation of Traum Novell. And it's actually eerily very similar to the novel, which is which is Eyes Wide Shut, was based on, mm-hmm. or the novella, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's that. There's the whole orgy scene with the masks and everything and the secret societies. Right. That's all from the original novel and in this adaptation with the naked woman saying, I will redeem him. I offer I did, myself. I actually did read the novel. That's oh, really? The novella. And I, I, I guess it, it's kind of forgettable because I mm-hmm. don't remember much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But apparently there's a lot of Freudian psychology. Oh, well, he was a contemporary. He was a contemporary of Freud. They wrote, like, little letters to each other all the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, know, Austrians got to hang out. They got to stick together, you know, (laughs) especially around that time. And the Nazis are fucking knocking down your door and shit. You got to fucking hang with your crew, man. (laughs) You got to support each other. Um, But, uh, you know, it's interesting how this is considered the one of Kubrick's lesser works. Mainly because he died after it was made, and there was no follow up any film. And it's interesting that you know every every Kubrick film is considered a failure until the next film that sur- surplants it comes out, hmm. and then that previous and then film becomes scrutinize that film. Sure, and people scrutinize that film, and that previous and film becomes a masterpiece. The other one has a exactly. Sure. So there was no, unfortunately, no other film to come after Eyes Wide Shut to, in contrast, to show Eyes Wide Shut as the masterpiece that it. Some people believe it is. I think it's not maybe a masterpiece, but it's a very enjoyable, incredibly well orchestrated film. And I think Sidney Pollack uh, does a great job in this film as well. He's very, very. Uh, Sidney Pollack is great. In this Sidney film. Pollack is uh, truly uh, really good menacing and yet, yet, yet very, very. Uh, comforting and, and warm and yet menacing at the same time. He does a very good line. I wouldn't say it's the best Kubrick film, but it, mm. it's my favorite. It's certainly not I've, the, I've watched it the most. I, yeah, of any you were saying, film. You've seen, you've probably watched and this movie more, more than any other movie. Probably more than any other movie. Yeah. How many times do you think you've actually seen this movie from, from start to finish? Mm. Over 10 times? Yes. Easily? Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. I haven't kept count, but yeah. I, I usually do watch it around this time of year. Because again, this movie only came out in 1999. That's only. It, it truly, I'm not. I'm not making this up. It truly is like a Christmas or holiday season thing for me. <laughs> it's a perennial favorite around <laughs> the old Harrison family. Um, anyhow, um, I think. Did you, did you notice uh, one thing before I forget? Yeah. That Bill, um, Tom Cruise's character, Bill Hartford, Bill Hartford, not Hartford, not, not Hartford, uh, constantly repeats lines that other characters say. Yes, that is yeah. the thing that happens. Do you think that's movie. a character affectation, or there's an, some kind of intentionality? There's an intentionality to, to it yeah. in the script. I, I couldn't. That's one thing I can't figure out. Like, yeah, well, it's totally intentional. It. It's completely yeah. intentional that he repeats uh, that he's parroting other people in the script, and there's also weird parallels that are happening. Is in that the speaking movie. to him trying to understand the situation going? he's in? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, or that he's like m- maybe directing it or creating it himself and mm. like re- regurgitating it. Right, right, um, right. And yeah, and maybe okay. This, so like, you part, know, okay. you know, when he goes to see the woman whose father passes away, she looks very eerily similar to Nicole Kidman, just a little bit older, mm. similar kind of haircut, and her and her and her fiance looks like a taller, you know, version of Tom Cruise. <laughs> you know, there's some weird 
some weird there are some parallel kind of parallel scenes as well yeah and like, the way um sorry that's no, okay when uh when he's speaking to ziegler after he kind of or he begins to wake up from his uh his dream state yes uh in the pool room yes the and, very final well that's the final scene they have together yeah yes uh so i don't know if I just noticed this like recently. Ziegler is grabbing objects and tapping them twice. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, frequently. That's unsettling. Like, like the 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 high priest or whatever in the orgy scene mm-hmm. is tapping his um, staff. Mm-hmm. Right. He does the two times. Two times. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So maybe that speaks to Ziegler being that character. Although I always thought that I Ziegler think, was the guy that he nods to up in the balcony. Right. You know? Yeah. But you, think, you don't know for sure. <laughs> I think in the in the in the in the credits, it's the different. Person yeah, yeah he's credited as role. a different person. Yeah, and it's uh, Stanley Kubrick's longtime assistant. I can't remember. Oh, that guy, little yeah. little Roy Front Fontenoy from uh, from um, uh, Barry Lyndon. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's that's cool. I, I, the soundtrack in that movie is unbelievable, man. That like it, it's amazing how much tension you and can I create. Shut? Yeah, and I yeah, yeah, shut. Yeah. It's an amazing. It's amazing how much tension that you can create in a just walking down the street, being paranoid that you're being followed or something. Or just wary of the world just with like just that that two piano notes, piano notes, and they just get faster and faster and more. Yeah. That's a really extraordinary soundtrack, and you know, it's almost like a Jaws type. Oh, totally, yeah, absolutely. It's like a stalking. The piano stalking you. In it a is way. a great soundtrack. Yeah, I even like listening to that um, that droning thing that's going on in the orgy. Yeah, well, it's absolutely, cool. it's terrifying. Yeah. It's, it's engrossing. It's something played in reverse, maybe. Yeah. So you didn't you didn't watch the and the Shostakovich. Waltz that opens it up. It's oh, certainly, yeah. Too. That's very yeah. whimsical and yeah. fun, and kind of brings you into this kind of like strange it kind of world. Closes the film too, I think. Yes, it yeah, does. Right, yeah. yeah. And uh, did you watch the version with the CGI orgy members? No, or I no? have seen that version, like yeah. in my travels. It's pretty convincing <laughs> CGI, I gotta say. Really? really? Uh, I, I thought it was very obvious when uh, I really? saw it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I thought it was like better than Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Okay. At the time, in 1999, <laughs> it was the same thing happening, man. Right, right, right. Way more convincing right. than fucking Jar Jar Binks yeah. fucking in the room, you know? Like, but when you go to watch a Star Wars film and Jar Jar Binks is on screen, you expect CGI, right? I guess when you're, yeah. when you're watching Eyes Wide Shut, you don't expect it, so it really throws you out of the film. Mm-hmm. It was a stupid thing for the studio to do. Yeah, it's the way it goes, I guess. But again, this movie kind of marketed itself on trying to be like this great director's version of a porno. You know what I mean? And I don't know, maybe they're trying to appeal to like European also a markets stupid or thing something. To do. <laughs> well, you talked to the, you love De Palma, you love his <laughs> fucking movies, and uh, yeah, whatever. I'm gonna have to revisit. Uh, uh, body double in a while, <laughs> <laughs> a little while later. But uh, anyhow, what do you think this film is saying, uh, or is it saying anything about class, like the class system? Because hmm. um, the Harfords, you know, yeah. as as perfect a couple as they are, as as high in society as they right. are, they can't, um, or Bill at least can't get into this upper echelon of society. Right? right. He's not. Um, he doesn't have access to this party. Right. right. He's an interloper. That the uber rich are having. So, yeah. Yeah. It's saying something there too. I yeah, think. I think so. I just think that there's, it's trying to just say that there's a dark underbelly to America, hmm. much like any other society, I guess. Right, right. So, you know, I'm sure there's like dark, weird European societies and, you know, and Asian cultures too. There's like all these weird, uh, you know, secrets like the triads and shit like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like the Yakuza, like all kinds of weird <laughs> fucked up. You know, dark, the, you know, criminal what underworlds. Do you, what do you call it? The, the, not Glimmerati, the, 
Illuminati? Illuminati. Jesus Christ. The Glitterati. Is there a Glitterati? The Glitterati. I think... The Glitterati. That's amazing. Jesus Christ. There should be a Glitterati. Mm, Yeah. The Glitterati. That's amazing. The Illuminati. Yes, the Illuminati. You know, I mean, I think, again, like that plays into people's paranoia that there's some other greater force controlling their destiny and that they're never going to be truly can control their own lives mm-hmm. and it's a i think it's a universal fear obviously some people put more stock into it than i think others yeah and people let it, literally that paranoia gov- govern their lives which is kind of ironic um but uh yeah i think yeah it's an interesting Ziegler is in control throughout the film is, is, until, no he's not well no, he's at the beginning i was just gonna he, say yeah the, he's very much not in control of that situation yeah. He's very much not in control of that situation. Right. That's the only time we see him, and yeah. he's kind of vulnerable. I think. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, but still not really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like he could have covered that all up. Can we talk about to. that party? Can we talk about that party? And uh, Which, the, the, the opening hum- party? Yeah, yeah, the Zie- Ziegler's Christmas party. The Christmas Victor party. Victor Ziegler's Christmas yeah. party. Beautifully and decorated. Incredible. Like, that's how you decorate <laughs> your house for Christmas, guys. For sure. <laughs> like, with just, like, just cascading beautiful Christmas lights everywhere. Just fairy lights. And just the uh, whole staircase yeah. that's, like, completely illuminated with, with Christmas lights and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely sta- astoundingly beautiful. A cinematographer's delight, um, for sure. And I just want to say, I just want to shout out for... Uh, Hungarian, not George Hamilton. There, oh yeah, the, that guy. His actual real name. I wanted to fuck that guy. That guy's real name. <laughs> his real name is Sky Dumont. Awesome. That's an incredible name. Um, he's a charming he's motherfucker. A char- but if you try that, but honestly, you're a good-looking guy. You're a charming guy, Alan. You're a good-looking guy. Oh, thanks, Joe. You're a good-looking guy. But if you tried any of that shit with a woman at a party you've never met before, she will fucking scratch your eyes out and kill you. She'll cut your goddamn throat. As she should. He actually physically grabs her at rapist. the end and prevents yeah. her from, from walking out. Well, first of all, yeah. he drinks her drink knowingly like an asshole. <laughs> She's like, oh, that's my drink. He's like, oh, yeah, I know. And he just drinks it, just downs it. And then her performance just, in that scene is odd and affected. Well, it, because I guess she's that's supposed a Kubrick to be tipsy, kind of, but she's supposed to be tipsy. She is and lightly, yeah. kind of just following along. And like when it comes to the real question of whether she's going to make that step or not, she yeah. steps away. But I think there's a really interesting. But doesn't it seem a little there. bit like overstated to no, you? Like I a, think it's really it's like a, a hyper stylized kind of. Well, I mean, delivery it's a, of lines, even yeah. though she is supposed to be. I think she's got that weightless, you know, uh, you know, again, that kind of like weird uh, ethereal voice that mm. just is normal to her. Okay. I think that's just a natural thing. I just wonder if she that delivers was, her uh, lines. If that was uh, Kubrick telling her to Maybe. perform it that It way. could be. It's an incredibly well choreographed shot where you see them dancing together and the camera is just moving along with them, rotating around with them, and then allowing them oh. to kind of spin once in a while. Yeah. It's an incredibly we well see orchestrated. Bill. From her perspective, yeah, yeah, for sure. So where does the rainbow go, Alan? You know, I kind (laughs) of wish we found out. I wish that we I had that kind of a an option in my life. To Milich's to Milich's costume shop. Yeah, well, I guess so. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, I love that actor. Uh, He's like a crazy Russian actor. I can't remember. He's in Snatch as well. Yeah, right. His name is. uh, Was he the Bullet Dodger? Yeah, 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 the Bullet Dodger guy. The the Blade. Boris the Blade in, in uh, Snatch. Um, he's a great actor. Great when he's on screen, serving. you just want to hear him speak. Oh, absolutely. He's so good. And he was also in... Our, I think he's also in... Um, uh, oh, his name is unpronounceable. Yeah, it's completely unpronounceable. But <laughs> anyhow, he's great. And you got Lee Sobieski uh, as his daughter who's... Yeah, very young Lee Sobieski. Yeah. Well, also, shout out to uh, Joyride. Mm. <laughs> also, <laughs> co-co... 
kind of uh, Lolita cast member. Yeah, very much Lolita type. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, little little temptress, I guess, or whatever, <laughs> for these two Japanese guys. And then at the end of the movie, he's like, "Yeah, we've worked it out. We figured yeah. things out." <laughs> like, wow, you just sold. Cruz me. does a good bit of acting there. Like the expression yeah. on his face is he's like, what? pretty funny. What? And that's Mr. the thing Rilch. too about this film. There's 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 subtle comedy throughout oh absolutely for sure the whole fucking movie you've got tom cruise wandering the streets of new york trying to get his dick sucked and he can't get it done he just can't get laid (laughs) that's comedy in itself tom cruise can't get laid in new york city boom that sells the movie right there that's comedy right there um yeah i i think this movie uh, that's that's kind of just like that's part of his dream right or sure yeah it's like those dreams where you can't uh, grab something that's within reach. You mm-hmm. know? It's that frustration, I guess. Right, yeah. Well, it's like yeah. uh, trying to taste something in a dream or trying to smell something in a dream. Yeah. You you know it there, and you know what it should smell or taste like, but you can't actually f- have that sensation. Right. So it's probably like going back to Freud, mm-hmm. right? Maybe oh, like speaking to the subconscious oh, in some way. Yeah, like the without... subconscious is preventing him from sure. getting these things that he thinks he wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. There's some really interesting cameos in this movie of actors that and actresses that we really didn't notice until maybe later on in life. We got uh, we got Alan Cumming, yeah, yeah, as a concierge, I guess. I think he's like yeah, the bellboy or like a door. Uh, he's not a bellboy. Okay, well, he's not a bellboy. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, sure. He's not concierge. Tim Roth. Sure, he's a front desk guy. He's a front desk at a hotel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, coming off as really creepy, he, he seems very attracted to Bill. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, just flirting getting, with him. Yeah, deep attraction. Oh, but that's the, the, that's the beauty level. of his character. Is that he's kind of flirting with him and being <laughs> he's kind flirting of coy. With him. He's being, you know, very. Well, it's Alan Cumming, so you effeminate. Know. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's just a, it's it's a great little cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, Christine Kubrick is in the film. Christiane? Chris, is it Christiane? I think it was Christine, isn't it? I thought it was Christiane. Okay, I might have Christiane. I might be wrong. Anyhow, she is Stanley Kubrick's uh, wife, who was also made uh, painted many of the paintings in the mm-hmm. apartment of the uh, the Harfords apartment at the beginning of the movie. That you see, I usually don't go for that, like you know, overly rich colored kind of paintings. Sure, thing, it's very but, Matisse, but I think it really works for me. I like yeah. I like her paintings. Yeah. I think there's also probably one of her paintings or something similar to it in the bathroom scene that uh, in Ziegler's, Ziegler's bathroom. Ziegler's, yeah. <laughs> You don't notice that's a bathroom until like it's fucking huge. more near the end of the know, scene where they, the crazy? camera kind of pans over and you see a toilet. It's a fucking bathroom. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I thought this was a bedroom. It's like the size of my apartment. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a big house. So there you go. Um, yes, another, another great cameo. Go for it. Oh, we got uh, Todd Field. Yep. The great director Todd Field did In the Bedroom and Little Children. I really liked Little Children. I thought it was very disturbing. And uh, It was very disturbing. Great performance great by Jackie Earl Haley. Yep. But In the Bedroom is a better movie. Hmm. If you haven't seen that. I have not. Check but it out. Uh, I think if you have a... If your name is... Uh, Nick Nightingale, then I think you're doomed to be a lounge singer for the rest of your life. <laughs> Pretty much, much like, yeah. like a Jeeves is de- doomed to be a butler. <laughs> you're Nick Nightingale, yours we're one only. There's only one thing. You're not like a lawyer. You know, you're not going to be uh, an accountant, Nick Nightingale. I hope things turned out okay for Nick. I don't think things worked no. out that great for him. I think he was murdered. Pretty sure that he was murdered, and Sidney Pollock murdered him. <laughs> but anyhow, I love that about the movie at the end where it's kind of ambiguous whether, you know, these things were all coincidental or they're all horrible things that he's trying to get. That actually happened? Yeah, that actually happens. Sweep it on the rug really, just like the first event. What's really funny and weird mm-hmm. is 
the the grammar on the note that is passed to Bill through the the gates. Oh the right, house. yeah. It's it's written. I, I don't have the the text. It's with like me, give but, up, search, or whatever. Which are futile. <laughs> yeah. Which is futile. It's just worded very in a very odd way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, you said one of the Japanese men is oh, has yeah. a, a little role in, in one of the it's Star Wars. Return of the Jedi. He's like, uh, I think he's like blue leader or something. He's in one of the B wings, <laughs> and he's like one of the Japanese guys in the battle of the second battle of End or the battle of Endor, the second Death Star. And he, he says, I just remember his one line that he has, and he goes, "I'm hit," and then he just like <laughs> crashes into like the Death Star and explodes. Oh wow! That's one of the Japanese guys. Both of them are actually dumb stuff. <laughs> That's his role, like his character's name, Japanese guy. <laughs> Japanese in guy Star Wars? from Star Wars. He's a kamikaze and <laughs> no. Oh, Jesus Christ. Is that what you're saying, Joe? I'm not getting into identity politics in Star Wars anymore. I learned my lesson after Last Jedi. I'm not talking about Star Wars anymore. Ever. I'm banned. Deal. Star Wars doesn't exist to me anymore. That's not a thing that happens. I don't believe you, but... Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, well, is there anything else uh, you wanted to add? Um, are we closing off? I don't know. Are we? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say. Nothing else to say. Here's your choice. You're, you're, the, you're, you're, you're driving the show. Uh, I could I could do my closing statement. Sure. Then. All right. It's just it's a film that I I love. I, I can't. Maybe I haven't um, I haven't verbalized in, in a good way all the reasons why I love it. But it's a it's a special film to me. And I watch it almost annually at this time of year. And despite its darker elements, it. it it explores some positive themes, and although they may be harder to tease out, we explore themes of union, loyalty, fidelity, love. Um, those are themes we don't see often explored in Kubrick films, which makes it all the more interesting to me because I love Kubrick as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to say to our viewers, there's just one thing at the end of this episode that I think that our viewers should do after they've watched Eyes Wide Shut and they've listened to our episode. There's just one thing they need to go home and do. You know what it is? Fuck. Fuck.